This is Nicole Shea, author of Dead Straight Guide to Guns and Roses, and you're listening to Upside for Distortion on iHeartRadio. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion. My name is Brando, episode 148. Coming up in just a few moments, we'll be speaking with author Mick O'Shea, who has a brand new book out. It is called The Dead Straight Guide to Guns N' Roses. And this is actually his second GNR book. And he has a lot of other books about uh, a lot of other artists. Uh, like Sex Pistols, a lot of Sex Pistols books, Amy Winehouse, Ska, Metal. So we're going to talk to him about all of that in just a few. And then stick around after the interview. We're going to do a Shotgun News. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot. We're going to talk about uh, James Hetfield going to rehab. We're going to talk about some scary things that DJ Ashba had to say about his time during Guns N' Roses as far as his uh, treatment from fans. And also we're going to include what uh, GNR manager Fernando said or didn't say, might have said in line about a new Guns N' Roses album. We'll, we'll break it down. But first, uh, author Mick O'Shea we have on. Uh, Mick, welcome to the AFD show. Thank you very much, Brendan. Where are you, or I should say, where am I calling to? Because I had to dial like 20 numbers to connect with you just now. Uh, well, this is, uh, I suppose, a little remote village in Surrey, so close to Gatwick Airport. Okay. I have no idea where any of that the, is. The, the, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I wouldn't expect you to know where it's from. But best guess, I would say it's about an hour by train from here to London. Okay, I see. 50, I, minutes, 50 minutes from here to London. I know London. See, I have an American education. I don't know. I'm not too good with uh, with geography. If it's outside New York, I'm just, I'm, I'm completely lost. No, there's nothing wrong with that. So before we get to the, the Dead Straight Guide to Guns N' Roses, which, by the way, is almost out of stock on Amazon. Really? I, Oh, yeah. As I'm looking at this, it says there's only eight left. Order soon. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Yeah. Uh, I'm, but, still waiting for, I'm still waiting for my older copies. <laughs> Maybe that's where they're going. Okay. Yeah. Nice, nice. So <laughs> b- before we get to that, you know, of course, how you researched, uh, why Guns N' Roses, uh, because this is actually your, your second GNR book. Am I it right? is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the other one was just like a, uh, an A to Z uh, encyclopedia from about 10 years ago. Yeah, that's great. So before we get into the, your, your GNR history, I want to learn a little bit more about you because you have uh, a ton of books under your belt, uh, not just about GNR, a lot about the Sex Pistols, Amy Winehouse, uh, Ska, Heavy Metal, even going into, I think, Five Seconds of Summer, The Hunger Games. Yeah. So you have quite an array of 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 just knowledge into in which to write oh, about. I, I never you never turn them down. Never turn them down because you know they'll just offer them to someone else, and then they might not come back to you when they've got another idea. So I never say never say no. Okay, so I guess these are people who it's not like you've decided to write a book about a certain subject. Are these these people come to you, or is that just a case by case basis? 
I think, yes, it's by a case-by-case basis. Uh, Sometimes I go to publishers with ideas, and then once you get one book with them, they'll run other ideas by you. Sometimes I'll say, no, that's not for me, and others it's like, yeah, I could have a go at that. Okay. What was your your first book? Did you uh, grow up wanting to be an author? Did you want to be anything else, or are you kind of living your dream right now? Well, I guess, I suppose you could say I'm now living my dream. It all came about just pure happenstance. I was uh, living, used to live up north uh, of England, near Manchester, and I was out with a guy who'd written a couple of books on the pistols, and his phone went. We were out having a drink one night, and his phone went, and it was Glenn Matlock from the pistols, and he said, see what happens when you write a book about them. And I said, well, I wish I'd written a book about them, because <laughs> never mind the bollocks was the first album I ever bought. I absolutely adored the pistols. Mm. So I said, I wish I'd written a book about them, and then you might ring me up. And he said, well, do it, and I'll get your deal. And I think it's one of them throwaway comments that he'd probably forgotten about by the next round of drinks. But mm-hmm. I went away and thought, right, what can I do? So I wrote a uh, sort of, call it like a semi-faction novel on the Sex Pistols, where all the dates, places, events were real. I just put the conversations in. Mm. And Glenn helped on that. And Malcolm, Mal McLaren told me he bought a copy of Barnes & Noble in New York for his flight back to Paris. And said, you know, and he's, he's talking like Malcolm was. He's talking, and no one else gets a word in. And he's saying, you know, and the chap that wrote it said, you know, he, he wasn't there at the time. But, you know, it's rather good. And I'm just sort of I'm trying to get the words out that it was me, and I just couldn't because I was just so overwhelmed. <laughs> and it's and it's so. But to, so that was the first one I wrote. And then so my mate took it to his publisher, and the guy said, oh yeah, yeah, we're going to do it. And then of course, he, he was small, small time starting out. He'd done. The Pistols book from me, and he'd done four or five other titles. And he said, if I want to be taken seriously in this, and I have another Sex Pistol title, so it's two Sex Pistol titles out of six books, I'm going to have every ageing punk rocker in the country sending their manuscripts in. Mm. He said, I'm sorry, uh, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to have to pass on it. So he said, what else have you got? So while my mate's ranting at him, saying, you know, it's his first uh, So I was married at the time, and we, we'd decided we didn't want kids but we had two Persian cats that we called the kids and one of them went missing one day uh-huh. and was gone for a couple of days so I wrote this story which was just a fantasy adventure it wasn't meant to be anything else but when he said what else have you got so I said well you know I've, I've got this expecting him to giggle and I didn't know that him and his wife were major contributors to the Cats Protection League so he said that's the one we're going to do so that my first book published was a fantasy adventure about my two cats Oh, that's but then awesome. The pistols one came, yeah, then the Pistols one came next. And it's just <laughs> gone from there. Mm. So it is pure happenstance how, how it happened. Oh, that that is very cool. And so what is the approach since you your first two books are about, you know, what could be arguably the the beginning of punk rock, the first punk rock band, and talking about your your beloved cats. You know, it's funny, friends of mine yeah. have, also have Siamese cats, and they, brother and sister, and they sleep uh, holding paws. It's just, so I, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, that I don't know if it had a happy ending. I didn't read that book, but uh, to get your, you know, your passion out about your beloved pets is a different, obviously, subject matter than talking about Sid Vicious. Oh, absolutely, yeah, so, absolutely. So do you have a certain way of writing, style of writing, regardless of the subject matter, or does it, uh, I guess, does it change on what, what you're writing about? Like, uh, who who do you maybe model, your, model yourself after? Who are some of the authors that you look uh, look up to and say, like, you know what, I, I like this person's style? 
you know, I honestly never think about that. I just I just get into something. I just started. But one of the, one of the publishers, I did because um, the sequel to because the, the book, the Pistols book, the first one I was just talking about, it's called Only Anarchists Are Pretty. And the second one, the, the sequel, is called Anarchy in the UK, which came out last year. A big gap between them, but <laughs> the way it works out. And um, the the lady from the publisher said it, it, the guy that. It was a professor of English that she gave him to read it, to proofread it. And he said my style was in the Gonzo style. So, you know, mm. the, I mean, that's Tom Thompson, so to say. I was like, ooh, okay. You know, so I've never sort of thought to myself of having a, a certain style, I suppose. But I do sort of, if, it's, if we're doing about punk or one of the bands that I like, then I probably throw myself more into it and get really carried away. Whereas if it's, you know, Five Seconds of Summer or The, the Hunger Games... It was just they were just sort of interested because I was finding about about it as I was going along. If that makes sense. Okay, sure. No, that does. But what's interesting? Uh, th- what was the term that you used of how you wrote that first Sex Pistols book? How you kind of filled in the dialogue, but everything else was factually correct. What was the, the term you used? I called it a semi semi faction semi faction novel because you know because sort of everything was happening. Uh, when it said and who was there and who was in the room, because I'd played in bands myself at a only at a you know, amateur level, but I know those situations because the book covers when the Pistols just prior before John Lydon joins in August '75, and ends when they appear on the stage on first of December. So they, that's when they sort of hit the national headlines. So I knew what it was like to be in these bands where you're struggling to come up with songs and you're arguing and the situations when you're getting ready for gigs and you know no one's turning up and just the arguments, and, and but the fun side of it as well that you can have because you know, you're going around telling everyone you're in a band. So I just sort of put those situations in because Glenn said to me, he said, we can't remember what we said. You know, <laughs> right. so it, it, it sounds about right to me. <laughs> I'll, oh. I'll take that. And Mick Jones from The Clash helped one night. He, he get, spent half an hour with him and he was telling me stuff from you know, The Clash together while they were going to see The Pistols and how they influenced them. You know, that was one of those moments where you go, so, you know, pinch me. I had him and Glenn in front of me telling me. I thought that was one of the moments like pinched me. I must be dreaming. So you're obviously getting great feedback because that's a pretty big risk to take to kind of fill in the blanks. Because I, I, when you write an, an unauthorized biography, of course, you have to take some maybe license because you weren't there. But the actual to actually create the words um, that that they may have may not have said, and for you still to get the stamp of approval. You know, that's a, it's a yeah. big creative license and a big risk that really worked out for you. It was, it was. It, it generally, the general feedback for it was really, really positive. So then Malcolm gave it the thumbs up, Glenn liked it. I know that Paul, the drummer, he's got a copy. The only person that did take a bit of umbrage with it was John Lydon, funnily enough. Surprising. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> it, it was... Well, at first when he said it, and I thought, oh, you know, why? What's your problem? You know, because I said, never mind the boys, it was the first time I ever bought. I love the pistols to death. What's your problem? But, man, he just, he just did. He just had a problem with it for mm. some reason. Because it wasn't, it wasn't the truth or it wasn't accurate. But you know, I'm guessing he doesn't watch films then. Cause, you know, he must just sit with documentaries or something. Do you have to put yourself in the mindset when you're creating the dialogue, like an actor? Like oh, yeah. Yeah, you have to, like, okay. Yeah, wh- wh- I'm in the room. Yeah, when I was writing, yeah, I'm in the room with them. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Okay. Well, that's great. So I, go where- in my bubble. I go in my bubble, as I get told, yeah. 
I guess like an actor, you have to get in the right mindset. You know, I, I'm going to be Batman yeah. for this scene, and you can't break character. So, wow, that's a that's a little a lot of mental gymnastics that you have to do because you have to. It is. It's the same. It's the same with any book. I mean, like there was one instance. I was writing a book called Cemetery Gates, which is about the people, the rock stars that have died through you know dr- drugs and alcohol, or whatever, and the ones who should be dead, like your Ozzy Osbournes and your, your Slashes and people like that. Mm. So I was there, I was writing about Lemmy from Motorhead and I got the phone call from the publisher and we went, we want a book on One Direction. It's just a quick month, just get it out, we'll get it out because the popular. So I went from Lemmy to Harry Styles and I knew nothing <laughs> about this band. And it's like, so how, how do you go from one extreme to the other? And it, but, but there was no time frame where you go, give me a week to sort of you know, depressurize myself and get ready to talk about this stuff. It was like, literally, get on with it now. And so that was a bit weird. And I said, so when I finished when I finished Guns N' Roses, I went on to the Smiths. I used to I loved the Smiths back in the day, so that wasn't a problem. Then I went on to Punk, again another project that I love. And now I've just so I finished Punk last week. I'm now I'm doing Oasis. Oh wow! So I had to change. Yeah, so I had to change again to Oasis. But in the last couple of days, while I'm walking around the house, I'm humming Oasis songs to myself without actually playing them on the stereo or anything. Mm-hmm. So I thought, yeah, I've made that transition now. Wow. <laughs> so, well, it, it just weird, weird thing. I mean, it's it's a good weird. I, I'm I'm thinking about myself. Oh, Most of my career has been in, in rock radio or classic rock radio, but I've done country, I've done uh, Catholic, uh, and I'm Jewish, so I've done Catholic radio, I've done Spanish radio, oh. and no habla. I mean, it's just you, yeah. you got to do the things that you, like you know you have the talent to do it, but you got to kind of stretch your mind to fa- fully grasp you know, how to approach it as opposed to something that you're more comfortable to, which is, you know, maybe yeah. rock or punk. Uh, but you, you mentioned a book, uh, another one that I want to talk about of yours, and that is Cemetery Gates. Now, that's a really uh-huh. interesting topic because on, on the cover you, you have, you know, those who have left us like Lemmy and, and Dimebag uh, and Dio. But when you go to the Aussies yeah. and, and Slash, do, what do you get back as far as, you know, these are ones that, like, I guess, how do you tell it? Like, these are ones that should have died or had a, a close yeah. brush with death. Like, do they understand? Or d- does anyone take offense to that, saying, like, how dare you say I, I should have died? Even though, you know, these these people OD'd and they, for all accounts, Slash should be dead. Ozzy should be dead. Thankfully, they're not. Yeah, they should. They should, yeah. I mean, again, this was, a, again, the same publisher that comes to me with the Five Seconds of Summer and the uh, One Direction and the... the um, the, the, the Hunger Games trilogy, and she just said um, her um, editor, a young girl whose name escapes me now, had said she got this idea because she was a bit of a you know, rocker chick herself. Hmm. She got this idea for this, but and she'd come up with the the ones that were dead and the ones that should be, and come up with the title for it. And then the, the Sandra, the publisher, just said, "We well, haven't got time to do it. You want to? You haven't got time to do it." So she said. Uh, Mick will do it for you. So it was, I didn't go with them to the, with the idea. So Mick will do it for you. So, but see, I did love doing it because I found, you know, talking about the, the death metal in Norway with people that, you know, I just had never heard of. But so, so I got an education at the same time. Ah. So I knew about the Guns N' Roses and Bon Scott and Lemmy. You know, so about 90% of them, but some of the others, I just had to look up and think, who are these guys? But I did thoroughly enjoy doing it. And then people have said to me, why didn't you put that person in? Why didn't you put that person in? Is there going to be a sequel? Because you could have all these other people. Hmm. I'm like, well, I'm going to have to, you know, speak to the publisher on that one. But, you know, it did get a good response. 
I mean, it's obviously because you keep getting asked to to do these books, and again, you have such. It's not just you have uh, tunnel vision, or you have one lane. You know, it's not like you're just a, a, a rock author. You're, no, you know, yeah, it's, it's punk punk that sort of opened the channels, if you will. Because my mum, my mum, when I was a punk back in the day, because I was sort of left school in '78. I was into punk. I got into it in '77. I was too young to go and see the bands until I left school the year after. And my mum, because my front room. Uh, mum and dad's house they called it like punk rock central all my mates are piling <laughs> and mum would just for years and years we couldn't even talk about it my mum would roll her eyes and just go oh that time <laughs> of course now they dine out on telling their friends and everything on what's mixed new, new book or what's mixed da 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 and that's why I just say mum well that's time well spent isn't it <laughs> yeah. and she, like, she laughs about it now yeah well because you made that, that, you, that little punk of hers made something of herself so, of himself yeah yeah, no, I, he did. He, yeah. Do you prefer, I guess, at this point in your career, to write about something that you you know inside and out? You know, you you could probably just give a speech on it. You don't have to do too much research. Or do you like going yeah. into a subject th- to learn things, to know more than you already know? Do, what do you prefer, maybe, at this point in your career? Yeah, this yeah, this point, if it's a band or a subject when it's a band that I liked, you know, when they were going, yeah, I get a little sparkle in my eye and off I go because it, it doesn't take too much you know thrashing around on, on the internet research and going through books because you've got the general gist of what it was they did and what they were doing but you know with bands like One Direction I joke about it and say because funny enough it's my best seller I think it's like eight languages or something and, wow and I tell people you know I said to people yeah I know more about One Direction than any 50 odd jury I've managed to know <laughs> <laughs> that's true but yeah, I never never turn them down. If you know, it's like such an education as well. And I'd like to think that if a One Direction fan, you know, obviously gets your book, reads your book, and likes it, and and say, oh, what else has Mick O'Shea read, uh, written? And that's how that person, that young One Direction fan, learns about Guns N' Roses, learns about yeah, about the idea, wouldn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, that that, that that came out. Ooh. Like 2011, 12, maybe. So we're talking you know, six or seven years on. Those, those kids won't be into One Direction anymore. They'll be rocking out about now, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> maybe looking into The Clash and yeah, and the Pistols and yeah, Guns N' Roses and everything. Yeah. Hopefully. If, if, that, if my books do that, if that One Direction book does that, then it was worthwhile doing, absolutely. Yeah, so let's just say that it does. Let's, let's hope that it does. Yeah. yeah. Um. So how did the the Guns N' Roses, and of course we'll talk about the new one, uh, but the, the GNR Encyclopedia, which as of now, I'm looking on Amazon, only one left in stock of the Guns N' Roses Encyclopedia. Uh, so, that one's going print, yeah. That was, yeah, that was, I was still working in finance. I used to work for a finance company when I first started wow. writing. So that was the last book I wrote while I was like, doing the day job as well. So it was like any spare hour that I had get it done but again it, it was weird enough the same guy who got me the gig you know when Glenn rang him up that's uh, Alan Alan G. Parker who's now a film director not not the guy who did the commitments but he's the guy who did um, Who Killed Nancy mm. if you've seen that one the, about, it's, you know, Who Killed Nancy the title is self-evidence in the title isn't it <laughs> um, he he got called into a publisher the publisher called him in for a meeting and he's like right Alan so what ideas have you got and he's, so he's giving him the ideas, and this guy's going, uh, uh, uh. So there's a bit of an awkward silence, and uh, so Alan said to him, all right, Rob, you called the meeting. 
what's it for? And he said, well, I, I want someone to write a book for me on Guns N' Roses. And Alan said to me, he said, you know me, I've got a best of, and that's it. And he said, I'm not your man. He said, but I know who he is. So I was, just, I was just coming in from my lunch break at this job, this place. I was really not enjoying it. And he rang me up and just said, uh, I've got you. would you be interested? I went, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. I loved Guns N' Roses back in the day. My three favourite bands is The Pistols, Clash, and Guns N' Roses. I'll tell that anybody, yeah. Wow. See, that's what I was going to ask. Uh, where did your love of Guns N' Roses start? Because, you know, given your history, the, the Clash makes sense, Sex Pistols make sense. Not the GDR doesn't make sense, but I don't know. I, I wouldn't... It didn't, it didn't to a lot of people, to yeah. be honest, because I, I came out of punk and then went into, like, you know, the indie scene, the UK indie scene. Okay. Uh, but I'd gone to bands in, in sweaty little clubs to a few hundred people, you know, the, the Mighty Lemon Drops, that Petrol Emotion, King Kerr, bands that people haven't heard of. And uh, was just loving it. And I got into bands myself. So I was playing in a band, and I think I heard uh, Sweet Child of Mine. And I'd say, well, who's that? And people like, Guns N' Roses, da da da. And I thought, this is just awesome. And then I heard Paradise City. That, made, that pricked my ears up because I love a good guitar riff. And I saw the promo videos, and I'm thinking, these guys, they aren't part of this heavy metal because heavy metal just sort of got ridiculed back in the day. And it was a, but they're not heavy metal per se. They're more blues rock, like Aerosmith. They've got an edge to them. And then I heard uh, Patience. I was on a stag do on the Isle of Man, and I heard Patience, and because I love a rock ballad, and that was it. I was hooked. I went out and got uh, Appetite for Destruction, and then I didn't look back. Got every album they've done. I was at Wembley uh, for Izzy's last gig, August '91. And just go as far to the front as I could because I wanted to see him. I didn't want to miss a second of it. Mm. It was just awesome. The year after that, at Main Road, Manchester. The year after that, Milton Keynes. All the same tour. Now, three times in three years, it was still the same tour. Uh, yeah, the Usual Illusion tour. I was going to ask. I wanted to know because yeah. I'd have to imagine where you are. You saw some legendary shows, and obviously the. Go to Wembley. That you can't get much more legendary than oh, than that. The Wembley, the Wembley one was really was phenomenal because they had um, oh, what's it called? Oh God, mine's gone blank. Of who the support bands were on the User Illusion Trent tour. Trent Reznor, Trent Reznor was the singer. It's just gone out of my head. Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails. They I think it was their first UK gig. Oh, and yeah, and again, it was a, of a support band. It was Axel's mate with the blonde hair. Who the singer? Nah, it's gone out of my head. Uh, what Blind Melon? You thinking of? No, they were they were at Milton Keynes. Uh, Axel's friend with the blonde hair. I should. I'm, oh, I want to have this guessing game. Single my machine used to sing on my machine. Yeah. Oh, uh, Sebastian Bach from Skid Row. That's the one. Yes. <laughs> I mean, mine goes blank when you put it on the spot, isn't it? Yeah. That's all right. They would. They would. Yeah, they would be the other sport band, and so they were good, very good. But then when Guns and Roses come on, yeah, it was just. You just didn't know where to look because it's like like some bands you just look at the singer and then when the guitar does something you might look at him. It's like with the Clash, uh, with Strummer, Simon and Mick Jones, with with Axel Slash, uh, Izzy and Duff. You didn't know which one to look at because oh so much was going on, you know. And you just really whatever doing rumping up the ramps and stuff, <clears throat> and it was just absolutely mind blowing, absolutely mind blowing. Did you ever? That was his last gig. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. And uh, hopefully, and he maybe was you... my man. He was he was he was my GNR man with Izzy because I was a rhythm guitarist in bands. Okay, he was cool and personified. He really was. 
could uh, I mean I I I don't want to forget to ask this, but you seem like the right guy to write an Izzy book. Is that something that you would you have thought about doing? Oh, I'd love to. If he's listening, yeah. <laughs> Izzy, yeah, yeah. Call me, Brandon's got my number. I would love to do it. I'm surprised he hasn't done his own. To be honest. I mean, he's a he's a quiet guy. I've interviewed uh, close friends of of him uh, on the show, and he's just uh, a reserved person. And yeah, he is, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I mean, we hear also. I mean, same thing about Axel, but he's still uh, obviously out there uh, with the band, and there have been rumors uh, from Sebastian Bach, who we previously mentioned that Axel's working on a, his own book, but who knows if we'll ever see the light of day, which is why. You know, someone like you who gives us information about bands or artists that aren't constantly out there putting out their own artists. His solo stuff was fantastic. And the Juju Hounds album was good, but then his solo albums after that, because he was just like sort of like the Ronnie Wood of Guns N' Roses, just licks and riffs just came. I know Axel slagged him off and said it would have been happened if Guns N' Roses had stayed on the same level as the Ramones. And it's like, and he, and he envisioned because he was a big ELO fan and an Elton John fan and Queen fan, and he's, he had these rock ballads and mini operas in his head that he wanted to do at the stage. We don't get wrong, they're great. But is his songs off the usual loose albums, you know, 14 years and stuff like Just, oh, you could just listen to them all day long. <laughs> yes, and many of us uh, do, in fact. Uh, have you gotten a chance yeah. to meet any of the members along the way? Uh, n- now no, having... I haven't. No, okay. when the first time, first time I was doing the um, encyclopedia, someone gave me Slash's email and I got some reply off somebody. But it was like he was too busy. And then when I made contact, they were out on the road with you know this time this lifetime tour, and it was always like, wait till they get back or you know do another time. I think it would say, if I'd said I was from a fanzine, if I'd have been from a magazine, I think they'd give you more time. But when it's for a book, they kind of tense a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, they, they just think, well, if it's a book, because you know, I'm thinking of doing a book at some time, so I'm going to keep that for myself. You know, and If it's a magazine article, they can just crib that for their own thing. But yeah, if you say you're writing a book, they tend to yeah, just back off a bit for some reason. Not everyone, but the big, the big ones, the big stars do. So what was the approach, and tell us about, uh, you know, approach of writing, and tell us about the Dead Straight Guide to, to Guns N' Roses, which is available uh, now. Well, again, this was, I went to the London Book Fair. Um, actually, every year, it was getting invited by one of the publishers, and um, it's like sort of on for three days, and the middle day, they'll launch a book, and the personal various book it is, and it's for a bit of a party. And I got talking to this other publisher there, and he had his books on his display, because I was doing a book for him uh, already, and I said, oh, oh, what are these? And he said, oh, these, it's, it's suddenly proving really interesting, like a dead straight guide. So it's not some mammoth uh, book, you know, opuses or a dead straight guide for people who have an interest in the subject matter, but not, you know, they won't have all the albums and they won't know, they've just got an interest. So here it is, it's a nine ninety nine book or something, and they call them like pocket guides or dead straight guides, and they're proving popular in like your HMVs and your, Barnes and Nobles be like you're passing trade. So I said, Oh right. So I looked at them and I said, Oh, yeah, I said, I wish I wish I'd have met you a few months ago. I said, because I'd love to do the Guns N' Roses one. And he said, Well that's just a mock up. We haven't got an author for that one yet. Uh-huh. I said, Well, if you want if you want me, I'm there. And the Smith's one was next to it and said, I'm going for another so I've tried now do the Dead Straight Guide books. 
just through that one conversation. Wow. So, Guns, so the Scar one was the first one, and then Guns N' Roses was next. And he said, so they're supposed to be pocket, he calls them pocket guides, uh, pocket or dead straight guides. And that's, he said, so you're talking like 80,000 words. So it's, I think the Guns N' Roses one was 150-odd thousand. And he was like, where are you going with this? I said, well, it's Guns N' Roses, I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> and I think because we, he did, um, you put in sort of like facts and you write separate pieces about each album so it's not just a straightforward bio of course then they want the discography so I think Buckethead's discography was about 30 pages <laughs> so I, said to, I said do you have any, have any albums this guy's written and of course I had to do all the track listings as well so if you have any idea how many albums this guy's written and please don't tell me you're not going to put it in because it's taken me about two weeks to do this <laughs> yeah absolutely Wow, that's funny. We didn't stop. To, we didn't stop to consider that. And I, I knew he'd done. I knew he was quite prolific with his solo stuff, but I had no idea it was that many. Yeah, he puts out like thirty hundreds, albums a year. Of albums, yeah. All with weird titles as well. Most of them, anyway. Oh, he, he's somebody. I don't know if he's. He is a genius in his own way. I'll give him that. Yes, he is. I, I was lucky to see him. Uh, just recently, I don't know, maybe last year, uh, at the BB Kings in New York City before they they closed oh, it yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, I know you mean. Yeah, and he's just phenomenal. I mean, I, I I'm proud of his time in Guns and Roses. I, I love his contributions. He's he is, you know, I wouldn't want even with the bucket and everything. I love the whole whole shtick and it just. Uh, yeah, I must. Say, I did. I did find that a bit bizarre. And then reading about it, you know, when Alex would take him on the roller coaster and he had a chicken coop built, and you think, mm-hmm. what's going on? What's going on? But that's, I heard an interview with Dave Mustaine and Slash was with him. And he said so. And Dave Mustaine said, well, uh, Buckethead's twice a guitarist I'll ever be. And same with Slash. And, I, and, and Slash was sat there and Slash didn't say anything. And I thought, well, that's a compliment and a half, isn't it? Oh, it it, it really is. You know, he, it? yeah. it's, it's there's not many guitarists for me because I like a whole band that I can just sit and watch. I mean, of course, there are the greats. There's a, there's a nice handful, but Buckethead's in that handful. of I, I don't need anything else. Yeah, I can just watch him shred for an hour or so. Yes, pure virtuoso, yeah. And well, if he has his idiosyncrasies where he wants to put a bucket on his head and, and a Halloween mask, then, yeah, go for it. Well, we need the dead set guide to Buckethead after this. Uh-huh. Oh, oh, go, yeah. Yeah, the poster will love that one. But we've got the, we've got the discography already done, yeah, so that's after That's this. crazy. So how do you go about the the research for this because there's so much you can write and I, I don't know what how you have to deal with other fan bases but the, the Guns N' Roses fan base they're they're so meticulous about anything like if you get a certain date wrong if you get a, the oh, day of the week wrong you know how do you how do you go about that uh, as far as check, check and check and recheck and recheck yeah, yeah. I think it was a GNR it was one of the GNR so I started the chronological so it was like alright okay use that as a blueprint but then see the dates and then check it. Check it against some other sites. And if you can find it, same one on two or three, then you'll go with it. Okay. Yeah, if you just find it on one site, then you try and sort of get it in there and not put the actual date. If you will, you just say, oh, put it in there. So it's, yeah, you won't put the actual date in if you can't verify it elsewhere. Well, that's, so, that's, that works for me. You know, what else can you, yeah, uh, what else can you once do? You find out, you know, where we're going to start, where we're going to start on it. And once once I get that in my head, where to start? Because you know, with with a, when it's real facts, where it's not fiction, where a novel, you've got to come up with a blockbuster ending. When it's factual and it's a band, 
So you know, you know what the ending is going to be, where they are, when they split up, or what they're doing now. But it's just you know, finding the angle where to start. And then once I do that, yeah, I was away. There was no stopping me then because I've got, you know, I've got slashes, autobiography. I've got Mick Wall's book on X. So I've got Dove's autobiography. I've got old Mick Wall's, you know, the best band in the most dangerous band in the world, and and the one he did recently. It's name escapes me, but I've got it behind me, so I should be able to tell you. Oh, yeah, the true story of Guns N' Roses. Yeah, I've got them all. So they're all there for reference points. So don't just sit there on the internet. I'll go and get the book as well and, and thumb through it. Okay, right That's on. What I'm looking for. Yeah. I was thinking that earlier. I'm like, what is it with guys named Mick and writing books about Guns N' Roses? I know. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, the Dead Straight Guide to Guns N' Roses is available right now on Amazon and uh, other platforms. Uh, do you have a, a website? What's the best way? And Kindle. A lot of your books are also available on Kindle. Yeah, they're on Kindle. I know that um, Red Planet Publishing have got their website. Uh, I'm still in the process. People are telling me I should, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just too busy, right? I know I should. But nothing would anyone buy them through me? Because well, I'd have to set up all the back end site with the money and, and the ordering. So I just promote them when the book comes out. I put it on Facebook and tell people it's out. Right I've got on. my own Facebook page where I put them on. Uh, I just rely on the publishers and you know, word of mouth and what have you. Right on. So if fans have perhaps any questions uh, about the book or just want to discuss it, is Facebook the best way to reach you? Facebook me, yeah. Uh, All right, that's how I reached you. Yeah, anyone has any questions? Yeah, I'll happily, happily answer them. Awesome. Well, Mick O'Shea, uh, well, before you go, can you tell us um, what do you have going on? What do you have in, in the works? Because I know this, uh, this book just came out, but as you pointed yeah, well, out throughout the conversation, you never know when another book is just going to come out of you. No, no, I've got, I've, so I've just start, literally started the Oasis one. Right. I'm just like, literally, I'm on the introduction, my, you know, my my take on it before we go into their story. I've also been signed up to do the Dead Straight Guide to Glam Rock. Okay. But that might be the pocket that might be the pocket guide to Glam Rock, because I just get confused which is which. And then we have got other titles to do after that. Um whatever other publishers uh throw my way. But I think we're doing these two now, we're tied up till next spring, I suppose. Yeah, that's when I have to start thinking, what, what's the next title? But Mark is bombarding me with me, the guy at Red Planet. What about this one? What about Madonna? What about them? What about them? I go, yeah, whatever, just put it up. <laughs> yeah, we'll put them, put them on file and we'll, we'll look at them, uh, we'll look at them once I've get to them on the last chapter of Oasis and Glamrock. Then I'll listen, I'll be open to listening and go, right, what's next? At this moment in time, there's no need to tell me what's next. Yeah, I mean, because you're prepared for anything that they throw at you. Uh, throw at you. So, oh, I mean, God, yeah. if you yeah. go on Amazon, I believe you have 34 books up there. Do that many now? Yeah. When people ask, and people ask, and I say, I don't know. And then they look at me. I said, I know it's rather blase, isn't it? And I should know. But when I got the first one, which was the cat's one, I picked it up. Got the copies from the local post office and opened it up. Seeing the first book with your name on. Hmm. I was like jumping up and down in the kitchen. I got pretty excited when the only anarchists are pretty rocked up as well. But now when they come, I just take it out of the jiffy bag and put it on the shelf with the others. <laughs> I know it's blase. I do. I sit there, look at them with pride. And when people look at them, they go, are they all yours? And I go, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. Yeah. I'm not one to blow my own trumpet. No, you're just, you're doing your job. And as I said at the beginning, you're you're kind of living your dream. You, talk, you know, it was writing yeah. Yeah, uh, about bands you love and... You know, becoming the world's o- oldest uh, a One Direction fan, I'm sure, which is a dream yeah, of yours. Yeah, I know. 
Well, they did. That same public asked me to do it. They said we want to book on Harry Styles, and I, went, I drew the line there. I did it. <laughs> I, did it under, I did it under a pseudonym. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, I love it. Well, uh, Mick, again, this was uh, a pleasure. Um, everyone, go out and get the Dead Straight Guide to the Guns N' Roses yeah, again. Only eight left in stock on Amazon <laughs> before uh, it goes oh, out. Better get Mark. Better tell Mark to get some more over there. Because I know it's, I know he's done a deal with Barnes and Noble. So okay, but I'm due to speak to him tomorrow. All right, great. So I'll keep my listeners posted on everything going on with uh, with Nick O'Shea. But again, thank you so much for your time, and I hope we get to do this Brilliant. again. Brilliant. Brilliant indeed. Thanks, Mick. Now it's time for news. Shotgun News brought to you by AlternativeNation.net. Now, Shotgun News, of course, we talk about newsworthy things in the Guns N' Roses world and all things that relate to it. You know, some podcast updates and just certain kind of uh, certain themes like we talk about mental health a lot. If it relates, we'll put in this segment of the podcast. And another thing we do with Shotgun News is to make it your platform. It's great, of course, when we get a fan, a listener of the show to be a co-host and they get to speak their piece. However, if you ever just want to make an announcement as a Guns N' Roses fan, whether it be a certain event that's going on that you think that Guns N' Roses fans would like, uh, if you have a band that you think Guns N' Roses fans would like, I have no problem giving you a, a shout out on Shotgun News. I've done that in the past. And sometimes, well, it's it's about charity. You got to talk about charity in this. Uh, we're all G and R family, and this is uh, kind of where we all meet. Well, there's a lot of places where we meet. Uh, one of which, and I was given permission to share this story. Uh, one of the the Guns N' Roses fan sites that I go to a lot on Facebook is hashtag GNFNR fan spot hashtag not in this lifetime. And on that, there's this user uh, G and R fan. Her name is Rita Jester. And she posts a picture of uh, a young child, a young you know baby, and she it's, it goes on to be it's a grandson. Uh, spoiler alert! But a, a cute picture uh, holding a duck in a hospital bed, but he has the biggest smile on his face. Just a very cute kid. And she writes the following: This is my grandson Axel. He was recently diagnosed with stage three cancer and has just started chemotherapy. I was hoping that my GNR family could help by sponsoring my Relay for Life walk to hashtag help Axel slash cancer. First, I got to say that is a brilliant, brilliant hashtag. It's a shame that you know you, you had to get into the creative place to, to create it, but to help Axel, your grandson, slash cancer. Just brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Well, on my social media, I, I did... Uh, share that status with her permission, and I, I did mention that I wanted to talk about it on the podcast. Now, it's one of those links that are just very long. Uh, it just doesn't have like an easy link name for me to give out. But if you hear this podcast, uh, please, you, you know, if you want to donate, just inbox me. I'll, I'll send you the link. Or if you want to find a Rita Jester on Facebook through the Not In This Lifetime uh, fan page, I'm sure she would uh, greatly appreciate it. And, well, we're, we're all rooting for Axel. What more can you say? And we're also all rooting to uh, shift gears a little bit for James Hetfield. You may, uh, may have heard that the lead singer of Metallica had to enter rehab uh, once again, and they postponed the the last legs of their tour. Now, you know it, it's super serious, not just because he's in rehab, but you know that their tour is just one of the most successful ever 
you know, going on right now. So just best of luck to James. Uh, it's his struggles with with addiction and alcoholism is certainly well documented, and it's never too late to get help. It never is. Just because he's you know in his fifties, it doesn't matter what age you are, where you are in life. If you need help, get it. And it was a great show of support by the Metallica bandmates putting out a a joint statement and showing their support of of James Hetfield. And someone else who gave his support is a GNR alum, Matt Sorum. He tweeted, sending my best to James Hetfield of Metallica. Take care of yourself, my friend. You are a human being like everyone else that has real struggles. The disease of alcoholism doesn't discriminate. You are very strong to take the steps needed to be healthy and happy. The rest can wait. Honestly, I can't say it better. I couldn't have said it better. Kudos to you, Matt Sorum. That was just beautifully said and just so on the money. It doesn't matter how rich, how famous, how well-known, how successful, how beloved you are. When it comes down to it, you are a human being with human struggles. We're all human. It doesn't matter, again, how what you seemingly have, seemingly have to the, uh, the outside world. None of us who reach a certain level of success evolve to something other than a human being. We're not Pokemon. We don't reach the next level. It's we're all human. We all we're we're flawed. We're we're flawed human beings. So uh, great for James to to recognize that he needed help. His band to support him, and it looks like the rock world, including uh, Matt Sorum, is certainly uh, behind him. So get well, James. And along the same line as our secondary theme, I sometimes say on this podcast, obviously Guns N' Roses being our you know uh, bar mitzvah party, our six degrees of GNR bacon that we play, but we talk a lot about. Mental health. Now, this article came out, or I should say this interview came out with DJ Ashba with somebody named Butch Bradley. And I, I, I'm not going to pretend to be – I don't want to be a hypocrite, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be uh, above what DJ spoke about. And that's – and we've talked about uh, the theme of, I guess, online harassment of, of band members or just – uh, fans attacking each other, all of that. But again, it goes to show you, like, James Hetfield is human and is susceptible to his demons that he's got to fight. He's not immune to them, nor is D.G. Ashba immune to to his feelings. So in this interview, when he was asked about, you know, kind of taking that lead guitar role that so many GNR fans, even though Slash hadn't been in the band for so many years, will always associate with Slash. So in the conversation, uh, when he was asked about that transition, he, uh, DJ goes, oh, yeah, I got the fuck you. You're not Slash. I'm like, I was never trying to be Slash. I respect him so much. I love the music you created with GNR. I immediately went from having the coolest gig in the world to like, whoa, wait a second. It was just one of those things where it's just... You try to do the, that gig justice, and you go on uh, on stage every night, and you give your all every night. And uh, you know, sidebar, he really did. Whatever you, you think about DJ, if you don't like his style uh, of playing or his uh, what he wears, um, you know, whatever you feel like you need to nitpick about, watch every performance. The dude is having a ball out there. 
in 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 a lot of those uh, performances, Axel's laughing. Is there was a great rapport between DJ Ashba and Axel. However, you feel about it, that's that was undeniable. So you can't question his work ethic. However, the the, the scarier part of what he uh, in the interview what go continues like this. I remember the band going. Don't go to message boards. <laughs> I'm starting to agree with that because uh, they've been in the band longer. That's an interesting way of putting it. The, we fans have been in the band longer than some of these members. Very uh, interesting way of wording it. Um, and they're like, whatever you do. And I remember going to the message boards and seeing – and he goes to see uh, a comment that just says, you homo. First of all – I mean, who says that anymore? What are you, in fourth grade? Uh, for one, it's even if DJ was gay, to call someone a homo is, A, not an insult because you're allowed to be – being. there's nothing wrong with being gay. And also, I mean, do you see his, DJ's wife? <laughs> so uh, way to not even be accurate with your uh, your elementary school insult. So he, he continues by saying – and I was like, whoa. They're like, you're smoking a cigarette. That's because you were trying to be Slash. And I was like, no, honestly, I've been smoking since I was 14. Not that that's something to be proud of, but I get, I get his point. Uh, but then it was just weird. You're wearing a hat. And it's just like, yeah, well, I wore a hat in 6 a.m. Now, I'm not going to deny the fact that I have been critical of DJ wearing the hat. Now, I mean, at the end of the day, who gives a shit? It's a hat. But... I'm looking at it in a way as a, as a business decision, or I guess I have to look at it as what would I do? You know, when you're replacing, even though it wasn't a direct replacement of Slash, but when people think Guns N' Roses, they think lead guitar, Slash, the top hat, all the whole bit. And you're wearing a, a top hat, albeit a different one. It's just, I don't know, the, the self-aware, maybe it was self-aware or lack of self-awareness or that he didn't care, but... Just because I had an issue with the hat, I mean, I, I really didn't didn't make me not like DJ. You know, I was excited when he joined the band. I was, I, I, and I am a big fan of Six AM and the Six AMs, especially their first record. So when I heard they were recruiting uh, DJ Ashba from Six AM, I got excited. So you know, at the end of the day, I, I don't care. I mean, there are people who don't like Buckethead, and his getup is a lot more than just a hat. And I love Buckethead, so to each their own. So it got even worse. And DJ continues by saying, there was a time – There, were, oh, see, I got the song stuck in my head. Uh, there was times where, fuck, I just wanted to hang myself in my hotel room. But I look back now, and I'm so thankful and grateful to have these memories. I gained a lot of fans, don't get me wrong, and for that I'm grateful. I have memories that nobody can take from me and money can't buy. See, that's very scary, and I, I look at that very seriously. There was a tweet that DJ deleted. I have no concept of time. It may have been half a year ago, a year ago. That seemed very cryptic, a bit suicidal, if I can maybe uh, I'm blunt about it. But I know what DJ is feeling here, and I don't say that I don't know what it's like to be the lead guitarist of a rock band. I know what it's like to want to hang myself in my room. I know that feeling very, very well. I remember it very, very well. And my heart goes out to DJ. I don't want anyone to feel how I felt or how, well, my dad felt. 
or Chris Cornell felt, or Chester Bennington felt, or Robin Williams felt. Just because they are you know, celebrities, when I'm when I was younger, I looked at these guys on a certain pedestal. You know, and, and as you get older, they are what Bumblefoot once said to me in my first radio interview ever for Pixie 103 in Cape Cod. And I was like, what was it like to work with Axel Rose? That must have been so crazy. And and Bumblefoot replied, he's just flesh and blood. He's human like everybody else. And that stuck with me. And, you know, and I realized it a little bit later in life because I would be that guy. Uh, thankfully, Twitter came later in my life. But when I had a, a, away messages or not even then when you had the, the AOL instant messenger away messages and trying to be clever with your joke, but you end up being really insulting. I would be like that in real life, thinking I was funny and end up actually hurting somebody's feelings, which was never my intention. But there was something you know, in our culture that you think it's funny to hurt somebody. And there's a time and a place. If you want to do it on a, at a Comedy Central roast, go for it. But – that's the trouble with social media. You may have, and just say this for argument's sake, earned the right to put uh, publish an article for Loudwire, Alternative Nation, Blabbermouth. You know, of course, you can go to the New York Times, you can go whatever, CNN.com, Fox, whatever. You have earned that, whether it be th- through school, through uh, writing small articles in your high school paper and doing these crazy so – whatever. You've earned the right of – uh, the, the title of author or journalist, journalist, just as a blanket statement. I know there's a lot of variables that could be said in there. So when you're scrolling through your newsfeed and you see the headline that has been uh, earned, approved, you know, all the above, and usually in the, your same line of sight, you're going to see nasty comments of people who really didn't earn their words to be on the same level, so to speak, as the headline. And message boards are are uh, very scary. I mean, they're they're because they're, you don't really know who you're talking to, and you don't know you know people. It's not like Facebook where you have to like this is my name, this is my picture. And it's the same thing with Twitter. So people have uh, don't have the fear. Uh, they have no repercussions. But the repercussions is what if DJ did do it. You may, you. I, I wouldn't say that. Okay, it's that one person who called him a homo, that it's his fault that DJ Ashbrook may have killed himself. But when you're in a bad way, think about it. If someone says something negative to you or positive to you, doesn't that define the rest of your day? Doesn't that help you along with your week? So these guys are no different. So I just feel, I feel bad for DJ. You know, I'm glad that he looks back on his GNR time with more positive, uh, a more positive view than a negative. But it just goes to remind you that there really shouldn't be. I mean, you may have like your favorite guitar players, right? But does does that mean you need to really spit venom at the ones you don't like? It's not. You're not ranking your favorite Simpson characters. These are people. James Hetfield's a person. Uh, it's just um, – it's a crazy world out there. It, it really is, and we should appreciate what, what we got And uh, it's, as my generic 
uh, cliche finish to shotgun news. But I wanted to get those all of those are very important stories in there. And if you have any thoughts about them, and of course, if you want to donate to, to Little Axel, you can always uh, DM me on Facebook.com slash the AFD show or on Twitter at the AFD show. And by the way, if you do follow, you may have noticed I've been po- posting a lot of pictures from Getty Images lately. I had no idea through my job here at iHeart I could have access to that. <laughs> so I'm posting some legit beautiful photos of Guns N' Roses, Velvet Revolver. I have this access to this whole this whole library that I would like to share these pictures with you. And uh, hopefully you haven't seen them and you can only find them, you know, with me or if you pay for a Getty subscription. <laughs> so follow on social media for all these awesome Getty images and also updates with the podcast, who I'm going to interview next. I will say uh, coming up shortly, we're waiting on them to finish their new album, and that is Chesney and Atkins. You may have first learned uh, their name through uh, the Guns N' Roses uh, leak gate. Many of us thought that their songs were unreleased GNR material. Nope. Original material. They're working on a new album and they have included some former GNR members on the record. So we're waiting for it to be finished because they want to debut some stuff right here on this podcast. Very cool. Also on the way, it may be the next episode, I think. It's going to be Jack Lou, the Guns N' Roses' uh, first photographer, and Mark Cantor from Cantor's Deli, kind of ground zero uh, for, for Guns N' Roses. Uh, they're going to be on together. Jack, of course, has been on the show before, but this time he's bringing his buddy Mark, and I think that's going to be a really cool conversation and a unique thing that we do here on the podcast, kind of like when we had Roberta Freeman and Teddy Zigzag on at the same time. I like hearing, you know, when I'm not asking the question, but they're asking each other questions and reminiscing together. You can't get that anywhere else. Other guests I would like to announce, but... Not just yet. So, again, follow us on social media. In the meantime, thanks for subscribing, whether it be on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. You found us through AlternativeNation.net. Just thanks for hanging out. So when will you see the next episode of the AFD show? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy. I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. security, I'm going home.